0: y'all and welcome to the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren and today we're feasting on Mark 1. My passion is to encourage and equip women to discover God's truths for themselves and to gather women together in community around the Word of God because I believe that there is nothing more powerful for us to build our lives on. Um, It's so very important. We are not meant to live life in isolation, nor are we meant to study in isolation. And I'd love for you to join us. We meet live on Zoom on Tuesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, you are welcome to jump in at any point. Uh, you can get more information about the study, you can buy the study book, or you can sign up to join us at feastingontruth.com mark. We officially move into the beginning of our study this week, and oh, y'all. I'm gonna go ahead and warn you. I get a little excited. Um, I even get a little tongue-tied in the process, but goodness, y'all, God's Word is just so exciting. And it is my hope and my prayer that as you study alongside um, through the Gospel of Mark, that you too will just see the pure joy and beauty and excitement that awaits us when we pull a seat up to the table of his word and we feast together. Um, Let's get right to it. Here is Mark chapter one. Hey y'all and welcome to Unexpected Savior, an inductive Bible study on the gospel of Mark. And we are officially feasting um in mark today um we're moving um studying through mark 1 and i'm really excited the lord um just really showed me um some really neat things within this gospel and as i mentioned last week i continue to be amazed at the complexity um mixed with the simplicity, the, um, the structure of Mark's gospel. And we're going to start to see that, um, as we move through, um, these verses today, but before we do that, I want to open us up in prayer. Father, I just, um, I thank you so much for your word. God, I just, uh, I love that when we come to feast on your word and when we come together, Lord, um, that we are building community with one another that is far deeper and far richer than community that can be built on anything else. And so I thank you for every woman gathered here. I thank you, Lord, um, for what you are doing in her life. Lord, I just pray that in this time Um, God, that your word would go out, your truth would go out. Lord, overcome my sin, (laughs) overcome my human nature, Lord. Um, Let your truth be shared. Lord, let your Holy Spirit do a work in us. Lord, let us be reminded who you are and why you came for us and what it is that we have because of you. It is in your name I pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned, um, and we talked a little bit about this in the introductory and context lesson last week, but... um, Mark's gospel is, is quite structured. And, um, at first glance, it looks like this flyby fast hitting. I mean, you guys saw it, how many different little stories were in just this first chapter of, of, uh, Mark. And so I am not, um, because of time, I'm not going to be able to go through, um, well, I could, we would just be here for hours. (laughs) So, um, I really want to one. I want to not give you everything because I want the Holy Spirit to to reveal in you um, and through for you and illuminate Scripture in that way. But two, I um, want to uh, you to have some further discussion that isn't um, necessarily based on my teaching, but maybe even some of the questions from the book um, to discuss in your small groups. And so. Um, I'm not going to go through every cross reference and I'm not going to dive deep and dissect every single word. Um, but I am going to go through all of the scripture and then what I'm going to do is kind of pull up so that you guys and kind of show you some of that structure. And what's really cool, I think is that as we move through this exercise of seeing the structure in scripture and allowing the structure to help us interpret, um, the, uh, and not even within Mark, but the structure within scripture as a whole. Um, It's going to help us practice doing that in a way that um, you're going to be able to start doing this on your own if you haven't already. Um, And I'm really excited if you can't tell y'all. I mean, this is when I get so giddy about God's word because it just, it blows my mind. People think this is a boring book sometimes, or it's hard to understand. But when we are armed with the right tools and we allow the Holy Spirit into our time, Y'all, it is, it's exciting and I can't wait to get in. Um, I want to remind us each week, so I will start with um, just an overall context because it's always good for us to be refreshed on the lens through which we're going to study. So we want to remember that Mark writes his gospel primarily to a non-Jewish audience um, to show who Jesus is and why he came. The first half of the book really is setting the foundation of who is Jesus. Um, and there's a strong theme toward the unexpected. Um, we, um, I talked about some of the different structures that James R Edwards talks about in his book, the use of irony, the insider outsider, um, the Mark and sandwich, which I can't wait to get to, um, so many of these things within scripture, um, are unexpected. And that is what Mark kind of continually points to. Um, and so we are going to start um, our study of mark in the wilderness and this is quite deliberate and vital to understanding why jesus came so here we go mark chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god as it was as it is written in isaiah the prophet behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. So Mark starts this gospel, um, this uh, saying, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, who is the Son of God? Gospel literally translates good message or good news. It's the Greek word, you euenge- and Oh, I'm going to butcher this, butcher this. You <laughs> and Um, the helps word studied, kind of describes it as um, that it includes the entire Bible. Um, it's not limited just to how a person gets saved. And so I want us to really be able to open. Um, our understanding of the gospel, understand the understanding of the good news. This is not just about salvation. The good news is much bigger and much broader than that. Um, historically, that word was used to tell a victory on a battlefield. And I love that here we have Jesus stepping onto the scene, um, proclaiming good news. Um, and he starts with this dual prophecy. Now, he only mentions Isaiah, but it's actually two passages from um, from Isaiah and from Malachi. Um, both of those you had to look up in your homework this week. Um, but both of them... Um, and it was very common um, if you did the study of Romans by his grace for his glory um, through Feasting on Truth. We talked about this a lot where it's a very common literary form in this day to take linked texts that have a similar word and kind of put them together. And so that's what Mark does here, um, both this Isaiah 40 passage and the Malachi 2 passage um, are in context prophecies about the restoration of god's people um it's about the coming peace and a god who reigns over his kingdom and so you can see why um, one these passages would have been um familiar um to any jewish believers that were reading this um but also um that he would use these kind of as the starting point because they are reminiscent of what he is, what he is saying, that they started. um, We are going to be talking about the restoration of God's people. Um, And both of these talk about the wilderness, Um, Isaiah 40 in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall be level and the rough places as a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, Isaiah uh, Malachi two, behold, I will send my messenger. Um, this is actually starts. Um, Chapter three of Malachi, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek suddenly will come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Um, and uh, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he is appears for he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Um He is coming to cleanse. He is coming to refine. He is coming to bring peace. He's coming to reign. Um, And so Mark starts pointing to this prophecy and then he's going to show exactly how this prophecy is fulfilled. So this is a pattern we're going to see. We're going to see a concept or spiritual concept followed by a physical Um, proof of that. And so um, picking back up in verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, "After me comes uh, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." So um, baptism um, is not a foreign concept in this day. In fact, um, it was something that they would have been familiar with. It's not a post-resurrection concept. Um, But what is unique here about the story and about the fact that John the Baptist is baptizing Jewish people is that Jewish people were typically were not baptized. Baptism was a symbol for non Jews who were converting to Judaism. And it was this symbol that they were um, converted, that they were kind of dying to who they were. Same symbolism, um, tying, um, removing all ties of their former life, not under the Jewish law, and um, being raised to um, follow um, the new Jewish law. Um, baptism, the Greek word literally means to submerge. It comes from a root word to dip. And so there's this, think of um, when you dip a piece of bread into a bowl of liquid, it completely saturates it. And so um, there's this image of being um, saturated um, with this newness. And so, but it was not something that Jewish people did because Jewish people were already Jewish. Um, the IVP Bible background commentary says to tell Jewish people that they had to be baptized or repent in the same way that non-Jews um, did would have been offensive because it challenged the prevalent Jewish belief about salvation. Most Jewish people thought that if they were born into a Jewish family and they did not reject God's law, they would be saved. John told them instead that they had to come to God the same way that non-Jews did. And a key point of John's baptism is that everyone has to come to God the same way. And so right from the start, we see this good news come onto the scene that repentance and restoration is a level ground, um, that we um, all... um, in Romans, um, we talked about how all have sinned, uh, we all are sinners and we all need salvation. We're common in sin, common in salvation. And so um, we see that here, that no matter what we family we are born into, that there is only one way. Um, and so we have this prophecy here that John is going to come and then we see the prophecy fulfilled um, And then we have one who is greater than John. The Lord is coming. He's going to reveal the glory of God um, like that. He will refine and cleanse his people. Um, So we have this prophecy about the baptism. And then... So we have John saying, "I will baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit." And then y'all, we have an example. Like literally, we see this prophecy um come to fruition. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the um in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice crying from heaven, um voice from heaven came. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. So we see literally John baptized with water, but the Holy spirit of the Lord come, um, and rest on Jesus. Um, not in a, um, he didn't have the spirit cause he is God. He, it, Jesus is, and this is one of the things that is just, um, I think it's It's one of those concepts, the Trinity, that we may never understand this side of heaven. But one of the things that I continually um, push my mind to remember is that Jesus is God. Um, A lot of times I think we think of Jesus as the son who God sent to do his dirty work. But in some crazy mystery of the Trinity that we may never understand the side of heaven, it is God himself putting on human flesh and coming here. And so here we see this picture of of the Trinity. We see Father, we see Son, we see Holy Spirit, um, and we see this this picture of 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 the Holy Spirit literally washing over and the voice coming from heaven saying, "I am well pleased um, with my son." It means to think well of the Father affirms Jesus in the sight it publicly in front of everyone. And then immediately, verse twelve, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Okay, y'all, so this is the coolest thing I found. So we have these verses and we can get into each of these stories and we can kind of like try to dissect them and go, okay, what does this mean? What does baptism mean? And, and we can go, okay, what about temptation? And, you know, we can turn over to Matthew four and read the full account of this temptation and everything that's going on. But I want us to pull back and I want us to see, cause y'all, this was the coolest thing. You all these first 13 verses, these um this introduction to the gospel of mark it's a creation narrative um creation narratives are found throughout scripture and it's a reflection of genesis 1. so i want you to follow with me okay so first of all the book of genesis starts with the very first word is beginning and the book of mark the very first word is beginning um james r edwards in his book the gospel um, of mark he says the greek word translated Arche, um, I may not pronounce that right, can incorporate two meanings. First, in order of temporal sequence, um, or first in terms of origin or principle. So essentially it can mean it's just the first thing, but it's a temporary sequence, or it can be more referred to origin. Um, In the latter sense, um, in which the term is used here, it is, sorry, y'all, it is the latter sense. (laughs) in which the term is being used here. Since Mark intends the whole gospel and not merely its opening part to be incorporated by beginning, that Greek word again, beginning thus identifies in the initial word of the gospel, the authority from whom the gospel derives, God himself, the author and the originator of all that is. For Mark, the introduction of Jesus is no less momentous than the creation of the world. For in Jesus, a new creation is at hand. Um, And so in Genesis, we see this beginning. um, And in verse two, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we hear the Hebrew word for without form, or some versions say formless, it also means wilderness or a wasteland, chaos. Um, In the beginning, it was a wilderness, and God's spirit is hovering over the waters, and he brings life out of chaos, and he says it was good. The first Adam, Adam and Eve, um, Adam is given dominion over the garden and over the animals. But when Satan enters into the garden, he twists God's words and tempted the first Adam, who was not able to stand against Satan. Instead, Adam and Eve were then forced out. God drove them out of the garden into the wilderness where we have been wandering ever since. But Jesus, Here we see again, the spirit hovering over the waters. um, And we hear the father look and say, I am well pleased, it is good. And after Jesus passes through the waters, the spirit drove Jesus, not from the garden, but into, um, sorry, uh, drives Jesus into the wilderness where Satan now enters into the wilderness. And once again, and this is what we read more in Matthew's account, but we see how Satan twists God's word and he tempts the second Adam. One of my favorite um, practices in scripture is to look at the Christ types in the Old Testament. Um, where we have the first Adam, Adam, who was imperfect, who was not able to live up to the standard. But Jesus is the more and better Adam. He is the second Adam who is fulfills everything that the first Adam was not able to. Um, And And so he is, Jesus is the more and better Adam. He is the second Adam. He resists the enemy. Notice how it says he's with the wild animals. It even points to the fact that he had dominion. He has authority over the wild animals while in the wilderness and get this y'all. Nancy Guthrie in her book, even better than Eden. It's such a great, it's such a great, great book. And if you don't have it, I highly recommend it. She, um, traces nine stories nine threads throughout scripture um and helps explain kind of the overall bigger picture of of the bible and how um that affects our story but this is what she says in the story of wilderness she says after jesus passed the test of temptation in the wilderness angels came and were ministering to him such a different experience than that of the first adam The angels had stood against the first Adam as adversaries preventing his return from the wilderness to the garden. And such a different result than the first Adam brought about. Because of the first Adam's failure to obey in a garden, all of humanity was plunged into the wilderness. But because of the second Adam's willingness to obey in the wilderness, the way back to a garden even better than Eden, has been open to us. Y'all, Jesus did what we could not. And we see this beautiful picture in that at the surface looks like this. Okay, this happened. John the Baptist came, he baptized Jesus. Then he went out into the wilderness and then let's get this show on the road. Let's go. Y'all, it's so much. See how the structure, how if we just kind of pull up, and and not always get so deep in the weeds of scripture. And we can start to see the parallels between these and understand this is a new point. It's a new creation. Um, it's a new um, place for us um, through Jesus. And as um, Edward said, it is um, in Jesus, a new creation is at hand. So let's, start his ministry. Um, Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So um, the whole first half of the book takes place mostly in and around the region of Galilee. So this is why maps are so important. So um, in your book, if you'll look You can see, so this region here around the Sea of Galilee, this is the region we're going to really see him spend the first half of the book in. Is this Galilee region, Um, and there's um, there's good purpose in that. Um, So this particular area was called was bicultural. So there, it was a uh, particularly in Capernaum. Um, which we'll get to in just a, a moment. Um, there was a dense population. Um, there's a number of Jewish synagogues throughout the region, but there's also a pervasive Hellenistic culture. So Hellenistic culture was pagan beliefs centered around the Greek gods. Um, and so remembering that he is writing to um, a Greek audience, he's writing or Roman audience or a pagan audience. He's or um sorry, non-Jewish. So people, Gentiles that would be familiar with some of this culture um, and the polytheism that was part of it. um, He is kind of showing in this area where Jesus was. Um, And so I think it's very much on purpose that he focuses greatly on his ministry within Galilee. Um, and Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. These are our theme verses for this study, because this really sums up, um, Jesus, who he is, why he came, um, the kingdom of God is near. The time is fulfilled. Fulfilled was one of your words that you looked at this week. Um, Merriam-Webster defines actually looked up fulfill um, instead of the past tense version, Um, but it means to put into effect or to meet the requirements of, Um, and so we see this kind of story leading up, all these things in the Old Testament pointing us to Jesus, and now is the time, the Greek word denotes completion, the wait is over, the time has come, um, God is so deliberate in his timing. This is something that I learned from a friend of mine who was part of our Bible study for many years. Her name was Tammy, and um, she would point to the fact that God is deliberate. Um And I love seeing that in scripture. And we're going to see that throughout Mark as well. This deliberate timing, the kingdom refers to the coming kingdom. Remember those passages in Isaiah that we talked about the the coming reign of God, um, the coming salvation of the Lord, the restoration of his people. Um, And um, it's at hand other versions say um his kingdom is coming near god's presence had dwelled really within specific boundaries prior to this but now he has come near john 1 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory um we they are beholding god's glory in flesh um jesus has come near um Who is Jesus? He is the son of God. And he has come to bring the kingdom of God near to restore the people to their God and to make a way to a place where we can and will once again, dwell with him and him with us. And our response is to repent and believe. And so again, we see concept, repent and believe, and now we're going to see It actually play out in the calling of the first disciples. Verse 16, passing along the sea alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him." Um, So cultural context, all Jewish boys were given a certain amount of education but not all of them um, continued that while studying under a rabbi. And so um, we see Simon and Andrew and James and John who are all fishermen with um, their father or with family. Um, they were apprentices of the of their trades. Being a fisherman in this particular area was lucrative. They most likely were not poor. And the, um, one of the clues to this was the fact that they had hired servants. Um, and Jesus invites them to be his disciples, which was actually backwards. Um, most of the time um, we see um, in their culture that the student would select a rabbi And um, it was usually done slowly and methodically with thought and process. And um, that is the total opposite of what we see here. And so we see again, this kind of unexpected response to Jesus, but it perfectly plays out this picture of what it looks like to repent and believe. Um, Leaving their nets, leaving their families, potentially even leaving their inheritance, um, it was risky, but they immediately Mark uses that word immediately um, for both of them left their nets. They left the symbol of their former lives and they turned um, to a new life following Jesus. Um, The word repent literally means to turn. And so we see Jesus calling to repent and believe. And then we literally see Um, a picture of what it looks like to turn and follow Jesus. Um, And so they're going to begin moving through Galilee. um, Verse 21, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this, a new kind of teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. And at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So we see Jesus teaching in a synagogue, and the people are astonished. They're amazed at his teaching and that he teaches with authority. Um, this was another word that I had y'all look up in um, your workbooks this week. Authority, from Merriam-Webster Dictionary, um, is the power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. So there's a there's a influence, a power of influence, um, a power to command um uh the greek word has the power um to act and so jesus has authority and this is a constant theme throughout the the gospel of mark and it's a question that um it in the first half we're going to answer what does jesus have authority over um and so here we see him having authority over the unclean spirit um the unclean um it's a it's a demonic spirit it's impure it's not of god and the spirit professes that jesus is the holy one of god um he says i know who you are um and so we see this kind of insider outsider not what you would expect these people are in the synagogue and jesus is teaching them and they're like who who is this who is this guy and immediately there comes a, a a man possessed by a demonic spirit and the spirit goes i know who you are and so we see this kind of backwards and the demon obeys the demons have to obey jesus um, because he has authority over the unclean spirits now i want y'all to take note that this takes place on sabbath Um, And we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we move through the study and we find some other stories that take place on the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath day was a day of rest. Um, At the core, it's about trusting God. Um, It's about ceasing work as a gift. Um, It is established in the wilderness when the Israelites have um, been left. Moses, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go. They go through the Red Sea. Um, It is kind of instituted as God gives them manna. They collect bread six days. And on the sixth day, um, their bread miraculously is a double portion that does not spoil on the next day. So they don't have to gather. And the the purpose behind it is because they've been slaves. Slaves don't get a day off. And so now he has a day where they can sit and they can rest and they can they can trust him. But Sabbath is also about restoration. Sabbath is about restoring our souls. And it's not something we do ourselves. Um, It is, um, if you look at the Hebrew word, it's actually a passive action. Um, It's to be breathed on. And it's a time when we sit back and allow God to restore and refresh us. And so Sabbath is synonymous with this idea of restoration. And so let's not lose sight of the fact that he restores a man possessed by an unclean spirit. He removes from the man what was impure on the Sabbath day in a synagogue. Um, Location and time help us understand. He's literally teaching with authority and then he proves his authority right there and shows why he has come and because of it news begins to spread rapidly throughout the region verse 29 and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of simon and andrew with james and john now simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her and they came and took her by the hand and lifted up lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them that evening at sundown they brought To him, all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So we see Jesus leave, and he goes to... um, the house of Simon and Andrew with his disciples. Um, He um, we see him heal Simon's mother-in-law. And I love the completeness of the healing. You know, when you, when you're sick and your fever goes away, but the, the sickness kind of lingers um, and it takes you a little while to get back up on your feet. Her, his mother, Simon's mother-in-law gets up immediately and, and steps right back into her role of service. Um, And so at evening at sundown, so after Sabbath is over, Jewish days start at sundown. And so this is the end of Sabbath when people could then carry loads, they could walk, they come and they're pressing against the house seeking Jesus, they want healing, they want relief from the oppression of the demons. Um, But Jesus would not let the demons speak because they knew him. And I think sometimes we think, Well, wouldn't we, wouldn't God want everyone to know the truth, but truth in the hands of liars cannot be trusted. We've already seen how Satan takes God's words and he twists them. And so he commands them not to speak because they cannot be trusted with the truth of who Jesus is. Um, and so we find these crowds pressing in. And so rising early the next morning. This is verse 35. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Um, because of the great crowds of people that were surrounding Jesus, he got up and went out to a desolate place, a uh, deserted, isolated, desert wilderness. Um, the idea is he needed to get away from the people who were pressing in. Um, and so I think we need to be careful with this one not to kind of, this is one that sometimes we go to and we're like, see, Jesus got up early and he prayed. And so we should have a quiet time every morning where we get up by ourselves and we pray. Y'all, I'm not saying that that's not a good practice, but I'm saying in context, if we look at this, we understand that he withdrew because of the great crowds around him. And I think a better application of this particular place in this Um, and this is one of the themes in Mark, the secret gospel is because personal ministry is hindered by great crowds. And this is something that I feel like God has been challenging in my own life is to remember that personal ministry is hindered by great crowds. And so Jesus withdraws from the crowds because he didn't come just to make everyone well here on earth. He has a greater purpose. And so he moves on throughout the region of Galilee. um, Yes, bringing physical healing, but also preaching of the restoration and the good news that is to come. Um, Verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him. This is the last part, y'all. Hang in with me. (laughs) And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him. See the humility of this leper And he went out, and he, (laughs) but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Um, If you go back and read Leviticus 13 and 14, you'll find the original Jewish laws about leprosy, um, the identification of it. Um, what to do once um, you have been cleansed, Um, I think what's really important, so one, leprosy is kind of a catch-all disease um, term for various skin diseases, but what's important to know is that when someone had a case of leprosy, they were sent to isolation until the leprosy had cleared, Um, and and so leprosy meant that you were separated. No one was allowed to touch you. In fact, if you look and you read through chapter thirteen, which is kind of like the the how to diagnose leprosy, it's kind of gross. I'll give you a fair warning, but it's um, but if you it says the priest shall look, the priest shall look, the priest shall look. It was never the priest shall touch um, because touching a leper would make that person, it would make the priest or whoever came in contact, it would make them unclean as well. And they would have to go through their own ceremonial cleansing. Um, And those are laid out in chapter 14. um, And they would have to offer a sacrifice um, in order to be restored back into um, the community and to be able to enter back into the camp or into the town or into their homes. Um, And so we'll see here that Mark's use of irony again, um, Jesus touching this man would make him unclean, but that's not what happens. What happens was what was unexpected is that the opposite happens is that when Jesus touches this man, instead of making Jesus unclean, it made this man clean. It brought wholeness and restoration back to him um and and it it shows us y'all and this is another thing through mark i know i keep saying and this isn't mark and this isn't mark but is is the emotion of jesus he looked at this man and it says he was moved with pity um other versions say he was moved with compassion the niv says that he became indignant um If you look up that word indignant in just a Merriam-Webster's English dictionary, it's feeling or showing anger because of something unjust or unworthy. Y'all, this is the divine grief of Jesus that he would look upon um, a man who by no fault of his own is isolated, cut off, riddled with disease and called unclean. And that Jesus knows that this is not what he desires for us. This is not what we were meant to be. This is not the plan that God wanted for us, but because of our sin, disease, um, sin, brokenness, um, all of it has entered into our wilderness, into this world. And Jesus comes to restore, to make us, which is who are unclean, clean. Jesus, God in the flesh, becomes indignant with the brokenness of his world, and he is moved with compassion to restore what was broken. Not just temporal restoration. We have that picture in the healing here of the leper. We have the picture of that here with The the man who was um, the unclean spirit was cast out with Simon's mother-in-law, with all those that he healed. It was a temporary restoration to point us to the bigger picture, the eternal restoration was coming. All of those people still died. None of them um, lived, are still alive here on earth. But Jesus came not just to bring restoration for now, but to bring restoration for eternity. Galatians one four through seven says, I mean that an heir, as long he is as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, father, you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are a daughter. And if you are a daughter, if you are a son, then you are an heir of God. He came so that we could have a restored relationship with our father, that it was so much more than just salvation. It was about the restoration of a relationship with our creator. He came to um, defeat Satan, to overcome sickness, to make us clean. He teaches with authority and shows authority over demons and health, and even the wild animals. Jesus unexpectedly came onto the scene, but it was not unexpected to our great God. It was deliberate in his timing. He came not as a king, not shouting to the masses, but calling a few to himself and to proclaim the good news. Matthew Henry in his commentary on Mark 1 says this, there is much in the doctrine of Christ that is astonishing. And the more we hear it, the more cause we see to admire it. And that is 100% true of my study in Mark 1. I am astonished. (laughs) And I'm amazed and I hope and pray that you are too. But unlike those who see, who uh, respond with astonishment and amazement, let us not stop there and go, who is this? Let us allow the truths of who Jesus is and what he came to do sink deep into us to affect our hearts, to humble us before our great God, to remind us that we have an eternal, secure hope that cannot be taken away from us and that while we wander this wilderness there is hope because of Jesus I want to close reading Isaiah 43 18 through 21 remember not the former things nor consider the things of old behold I am doing a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, jackals and ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed myself that they might declare my praise. Let us go forth and let our lives be a praise song to our God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for coming. God, thank you for humbling yourself and constraining yourself to human skin, Lord, for us. You were moved with pity. You were indignant, Lord. You were compassionate toward us. Lord, you came so that we might have a way to a new garden, that is even better than Eden, Lord, a new home to um, dwell with you and you with us, Lord, to remove the brokenness and to wipe away every tear. God, I just pray that as we move um deeper into Mark, that we would continue to um to see these truths, God, of who you are and why you came for us. Lord, thank you for being the God who who is personal lord who is personal to each of us who um sees each of us you are Elroy, lord you are yahweh rafa the one who heals us and lord i just thank you for that healing for eternity that is over us i pray lord that um as we move to mark two that the holy spirit would continue to teach us and show us who you are and it's in your name i pray amen <music> away by Mark. if estimates about the timing of Mark's writings are correct, that he wrote it around 64 AD, um, he would have written this account either in the last days of Peter's life or just after his death. To me, it almost feels like this preservation of his spiritual father's words, and I think it shows the maturity of a young man who made some mistakes in his life. But who has pressed on in Christ. What an incredibly beautiful, complex, yet so simple um, telling of the story of Jesus. Y'all, I'm still geeking out over that creation narrative within chapter one. I wanna close today by reading one of our cross references that we had this week. I want you, as I read these words from Isaiah 52, I want it to remind us of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God that he has come near. He has brought good news of victory. And because of that, we have seen the salvation of our God. He goes with us and he is our guard. Isaiah 52, seven through 12. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation who says in Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his arm before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bring vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear God. Praise be to God for his salvation. Next up, we feast on Mark 2. Keep looking for those juxtaposition of stories that help us understand the meaning. Um, There's going to be some more irony, um, and we are going to continue to see the unexpected. I will see you next week.